Republican candidate Donald Trump hopes to take advantage of the ravage of inflation that's impacting working class families on his hoped for ride to the White House for a second term. But what effect would his proposals actually have on working people's ability to afford the basic goods and services we actually rely on? We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. We are excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us again for our regular weekly segment where we talk about the biggest stories related to the economy, the state of the working class, and the crimes of big business. I'm your host, Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content several days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you, if you're not yet, to become a patron today. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. You can check out all of his work at rdwolff.com. That's rdwolff.com. Professor Wolff, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. Glad to be here. Thank you. Richard, yesterday in the New York Times, the headline of an article was called Trump and Inflation. The former president's second term agenda contains few policies that economists believe would reduce the rise in prices. Now, that's the subhead. Now, Richard, you and I have been talking about the Biden administration. And of course, Biden is at the helm of the capitalist government. We've been talking about inflation Anyway, we've been hitting on Joe Biden quite a bit. Let's take a break and hit on Donald Trump, because what Donald Trump is offering up is as much of a fantasy and really ridiculous. And if anything, especially his policies and positions on tariffs towards other countries, in particular China, the impact will actually be higher prices. But that said, the impact of any president is quite limited when it comes to actual prices, unless that president decides to do something affirmative about inflation. And of course, the president of the United States has a lot of power. I want to read a little bit to you from this New York Times article and then get your thoughts. Donald Trump's 2024 presidential campaign highlights the tensions between these two truths. The former president has blasted President Biden for the rise in prices over the past few years, but Trump also criticizes high interest rates, the Federal Reserve's key tool for lowering inflation. And the second term agenda he is proposing contains a few policies few economists believe would reduce inflation. In fact, some would risk pushing prices higher. Those include higher tariffs, which could raise costs for American consumers. Trump has also pledged to deport many undocumented immigrants. By the way, Richard, maybe he's promising as many as 8 million people would be deported. Many of these people are key to the U.S. workforce. 
This could cause, according to the article, major labor shortages that in turn lift prices on food and other items. Anyway, Richard, I want to get your thoughts. If I can borrow a metaphor I find delightful, I would say that former President Trump's program on inflation is a big, large, fat, juicy nothing burger. That There's nothing there. And I think he knows that and he could care less. His appeal to the people of this country is not around those kinds of issues. The media in the country have done a stunning job in making the topic of inflation somewhere between absurd, mysterious, and beyond the ken of anybody. And Mr. Trump has done absolutely nothing to undo that, to challenge it. Let me give you two or three examples. One, when the Biden administration, together with the Federal Reserve, decided, and it was both of them that decided it, to respond to the inflation they had not anticipated by raising interest rates, Mr. Trump had nothing to offer in terms of alternative ways of fighting the inflation. On this program, more than once, we talked about those alternatives. One, a wage price freeze, which was last instituted in the United States by a Republican conservative, something Mr. Trump says he is, namely Richard Nixon back in 1971. Mr. Trump said nothing about it, didn't propose it, didn't insist that there be a debate, didn't even have the courage to say, gee, why don't we have a conversation before we leap into rising interest rates? No, nothing. Nothing burger from Mr. Trump. There's a second alternative. Another president, Roosevelt, put forward, namely rationing using a different system to distribute goods than buying and selling them for money in the market, namely distributing more according to people's needs. That might have been an interesting idea. He could have credited the Democratic president. He did nothing. Another nothing burger for Mr. Trump. He had nothing to say. To oppose high interest rates, which it is the only policy this government has so far used to deal with inflation, and to oppose the inflation, yeah, that's easy, that's a cheap shot, that offers no solution. It's okay for you and me, we have the right to complain. But if you're running for office, you're supposed to be the person who not only complains, but offers some kind of program or solution. Mr. Trump has offered nothing. Okay, next. The tariff question. Mr. Trump is so ill-informed and disinterested in the economics of anything he proposes that when he hit the Chinese with tariffs during his four years of presidency, he kept making public statements repeatedly because I was asked on many media to comment on it. He kept saying, He's hitting the Chinese with tariffs, and it's going to cost them dearly. They're going to have to pay these tariffs. And I would have to point out, I wasn't the only one, but I was had to point out that no, tariffs are paid for by the American importer. In other words, the way a tariff works is if you import, I'll pick French wine, 
And if there were a tariff on French wine, then the American importer of the wine would have to pay the cost of the wine to the French wine producer. And then the tariff, that's a tax levied by the United States, that would go to Washington. The American reporter would pay the tariff to Washington because that's who puts the tariff on the wine. So if the United States government hits China with a tariff, it is the American importer of the Chinese goods who pays the tariff. An American importer who, guess what? tries to recoup the tariff he pays to the U.S. government on Chinese imports by raising his price. And since he's an American importer, it's the price to Americans, which is why a tariff most of the time raises prices. It doesn't lower them. So if Mr. Trump is going to be the champion of tariffs, he's doing something that not only does not solve the inflation, it worsens it. And now the biggest one. This crazy scapegoating of immigrants that he's a specialist in and that he hopes to ride into power, let's be crystal clear. Immigrants are desperately poor people who come into the United States in large numbers, if they can, across our southern border. And you know what? They are willing to take the worst jobs at the lowest pay because they're desperate and they come from poverty and there really isn't much else they can qualify for, given the discrimination against them, given their circumstances, and so on. Which means if you get rid of millions of immigrants, what are the employers going to do that made profits by employing the immigrants? Those people are either going to go out of business, and that's not good for the inflation, or they're going to have to turn and replace immigrants with native-born American workers. And guess what? Native-born American workers do not accept the level of wages that desperate immigrants do. If you have any doubt about it, just check the vegetable fields, the tobacco fields, the cheap labor jobs across the country filled by those immigrants, the car washes, the meatpacking plants across America. So you're going to have to replace low-wage workers and pay a higher wage. And you know what those employers are going to do who do that? They're going to raise their prices to recover the extra wages they have to pay. How, how far that will go, no one knows. But if you really mean it, if you're going to scapegoat the poorest people on earth than the immigrants coming here from the South, well... It is not going to solve your inflation. Bets are it'll make it worse. You put that together with the absence of any other serious program, and Mr. Trump represents the pretense that there's blame on Mr. Biden for the inflation. And you're quite right. Inflations are much more deeply rooted than what any president can do. And you're also gullible to believe that Mr. Trump offers anything else. If he wins and becomes the president, 
every sign indicates he will do some mix and match of what Biden has done, who did what Trump did before, who did what Obama did. You know, we're not changing anything other than the chairs on the decks of the Titanic as it goes down. Richard, Joe Biden is possibly on the verge of losing his re-election bid. Many, even inside the Biden camp, are talking about maybe it's too late because his poll ratings have gone down so far. He's lost the support now of young people, in particular, and people of color, young people of color who are an important base, a voting base for the Democratic Party, and who are key, absolutely essential to his election in 2020, as was the Arab American community in swing states like Michigan, where there are 200,000 Arab American voters, people are so mortified, horrified, outraged about the U.S. Biden backing of the genocide against people in Gaza. They're not going to vote for Biden. So he's right up against it. He's at a fork in the road, so to speak. They're hoping that the State of the Union message will be the Great Reset. So that's March 7th. That's a week from this coming Thursday. And I looked at an article, which I found to be seriously amusing, although it was supposedly a serious article in the New York Times, where the Biden administration and the Biden aides are sort of workshopping how they should talk about inflation in his State of the Union address. So they've actually put 100 staff members to do these focus groups to find out what words will work best with American voters when they talk about, say, high food prices, which people are very familiar with because everybody goes and gets food. So they have these hundred staff members doing these focus groups, workshopping different words just so that Biden can prepare to say them. Of course, he's going to have to write it out. He's not going to be able to speak off the cuff or anything like that. <laughs> so, so one of the phrases that they're playing with Richard is called greedflation, not inflation, but greedflation. This is they said the the kind of appeal that could work to convince the American people that it's not Biden's fault, that the inflation, the higher prices is based on greed. And the greed is these sort of unnamed, shadowy corporate entities who, by virtue of greed, have decided to raise the prices of things that are essential for the American consumer. So anyway, the hapless White House spending weeks before Biden gives a simple speech to the State of the Union and about the State of the Union is workshopping focus groups to see whether this word, greedflation, will work better than inflation. Anyway, it shows the, the level of just the pathetic level of American politics that something like this is needed for a political leader to prepare to talk to the nation about a pressing issue. But again... It's all greedflation. I mean, we've talked about this in the past, but again, they're sort of identifying it as a like a special, unique, unusual part of what's going on rather than sort of the essence of the problem. I would take it even further. I agree with you, but I would take it further. I think it's a wonderful example of doing too little and doing too late. The Democratic Party has become the shadow and echo of the Republican Party in focusing the attention of the people everywhere else but the capitalist economic system. 
The capitalist economic system, among its many achievements, puts a tiny minority of people in an unspeakably powerful position. It says that the board of directors of a corporation, that's a group of people of 15 to 20 persons, are in the position of making the decisions about that corporation. 15 to 20 people decide what the Apple computer company does or doesn't do, what Google does, what General Motors does, what General Dynamics, whatever one you pick of the 2,000 monster corporations that run our economy. They decide. And one of the things they are, quote unquote, free enterprise to do is to set their own prices. So yeah, of course, they raise prices when they think they can profit by doing so. That's what they're in business to do. They raise the prices when they can get away with it, raising them as far as the market will let them profit from doing so. The Democratic Party, if it had spent one millionth of the money and time and energy it has over the years in teaching what I just said to people would have been able to say, we have an inflation. The central problem is the power of a small minority, one to 3% of our people who are employers to set prices. We've got to deal with that unequal, undemocratic arrangement, or else we are always at the mercy of inflations popping up when they think it's profitable to do so. But the Democratic Party has never done that. And now when it's backed into a corner by its own missteps and mistakes and missed opportunities, it wants to go to the people and say, hey, there's these big CEOs and they're greedy and, you know, it's too late. They have been part of what has indoctrinated the American people to look anywhere else. Look at the spectacle of our politics. We are an economy of 330 million people. Undocumented immigrants, maybe 10 million, maybe. That's a tiny, tiny fraction. The problems of the American economy have nothing fundamental to do with immigrants. To scapegoat the immigrants, terrible immigrants, we're going to deport, that doesn't address our problems. That's silly junk. Why would an intelligent people, the American people, fall for that kind of scapegoating? Because our two political parties make sure that the economic analysis that would explain where inflations come from, why they happen, who makes the decision to raise prices, what are the different policies one can use to deal with it, none of that education of our people has been done. And the media, complicit with the leadership of these corporations, hasn't offset the failure of the corporate sector. And the Democratic and Republican parties haven't either. And so they're stuck. And Mr. Trump can get away with noisy fakery because he doesn't even know who pays a tariff because he can't think through the logic of what it means that the lowest paid workers in this country, immigrants, will be excluded from the labor market. So we have the spectacle of nonsense spoken by one candidate and too little too late about greedflation 
limply offered by the other candidate. What a spectacle. By the way, much worse than anything about their age. The media are full of their age problems and how well they read prompters. But the truth of it is their ideological mistraining of the American people is what's at the root of the problem they face now. And I could save the Democratic Party lots of time, energy, and money. They don't need the focus groups. I've just explained to them why agreedflation remark isn't going to cut the mustard for them. It's too little and it's too late. Indeed. And, and when you think about it, Richard, there are 60 million people in the world who are on the move, meaning that they're moving somewhere else. About 70 countries have been sanctioned by the United States in a deliberate effort to torpedo their economies. In the case of Venezuela and Cuba, very draconian sanctions making life almost unlivable for parts of the population. And the immigration flows from Venezuela and Cuba make up a big part of what's happening at the U.S.-Mexican border. Then you have people who have been devastated by the wars, and the U.S. has gone to war in Afghanistan, went to war in Iraq, went to war in Libya, basically went to war in Syria and still occupies Syria. Huge waves of immigration coming from war-torn areas. And then not to mention poverty, of course, which again, you think about NAFTA and the free trade packs, all of which were designed to maximize corporate profit. The indigenous people in Chiapas and the southern state of Mexico who staged that uprising led by the Zapatistas on the first day of NAFTA, January 1st, 1994, they said NAFTA would be a death sentence for Mexican indigenous people who are corn growers because now low-cost corn from Nebraska could or Iowa could be brought to the southern states of Mexico, wipe out those farmers and then after the indigenous, organic, homegrown agriculture was wiped out, then the, the agribusiness firms from America raised the price of corn. You know, at that time, there was almost no Mexican community in New York City in 1994. In the next decade, hundreds of thousands of people from Mexico immigrated. And then the thing is, blame the immigrants. Blame the immigrants. Don't blame the wars. Don't blame the sanctions. Don't blame the free trade packs. Don't blame the capitalist corporations. Just use immigrants as a punching bag. And, you know, big parts of the population, if they're not actually well-informed, they can fall for it because this is the way the media presents it. And even now, Biden is saying, well, yeah, we have to crack down on the border. We're going to get tough on the border. We're going to stop all of these asylum seekers at the border. So basically adopting Trump's program, but none of it addresses the actual issues that are driving global immigration to such staggering record levels. Go ahead. Yeah, and it's a wonderful scapegoat. This is the way systems that are in trouble, that's how they survive, at least for a while. As the troubles mount, as the difficulties mount, they have to do more and more to distract people. It's like being addicted. Whichever you're addicted to, at first, a little of it does the job. Then as your body gets used to it, you need more and more, right? An economic system, when it is past its prime, which American capitalism clearly is, it needs more and more distractions. 
you've got to have people focused on something else as the urgent issue in their life, lest they look not just at their economic situation, but at their prospects, at the prospects for their children. That's part of why we're finding the country splitting apart. More and more people are looking at the prospects and they're horrified and they don't know where to turn. No one has spent the time to educate them. The economic literacy in this country is, I don't know how to say this politely, uh, very poor. I'll be as polite as I know how. Much of what I do is to teach basic economic ideas not because I'm good at it, but because it's such a deficit in what people have learned or rather not learned. So you can get this crazy idea that if you come down on immigrants, it's going to really do something for your economic situation. It isn't. There's not enough immigrants. The country's too big relative to the immigrants. The immigrants are the poorest of the poor. They have the power or the money or the wealth to make a big difference in the economy for a long time. When your ancestors, since most Americans are the result of immigrants, when your immigrants first came, think about it. They were very poor. It took several generations before they were in a position that you're in now. That's why you're in it now, et cetera, et cetera. So, or to beat up on Russia or to beat up on China. That's what our political parties do. The Democrats hate the Russians. Or they hate the Chinese, the Republicans decide the Russians are better, the Chinese are worse. What a game this is. We're not going to solve our problems. We've been beating up on the Russians and the Chinese from the beginning of the Russian Revolution 100 years ago. And Russia is a big, powerful country now. It doesn't work. China is the, is the first real competitor the United States has had. We're not winning these races. We're losing. And so the distraction maybe works for a while. I'll give it that. It works for a while. It works for some people. But because it doesn't solve the problem, it's not going to be a solution. Mr. Trump was president for four years. What did he change about the basic system in this country? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Biden inherited it. And what did he change? Nothing. They fritter around the edges. They do a little more here, a little there, less. But they're decorations. They're not the basic story. And they, their job is to distract everybody else from the basic story. Leave the companies to do what the companies do. And they run the economy and they do whatever is profitable. And they did it under Trump and they're doing it under Biden. And whichever one of these clowns wins the election, they will continue to do it. Jamie Dimon, the head of the J.P. Morgan Chase, said it about three weeks ago when he was asked about the election. He said, smiling, well, we can live with either one of them. Exactly. For them, it doesn't matter. They'll go with whichever one does the better job of distracting the population and getting its votes. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out all of his work at rdwolff.com. That's rdwolff.com. You're listening to The Socialist Program. We'll be back tomorrow. 
You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.